Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. A couple of words of uh, gratitude. Yeah, the sanctuary looks pretty different from the last time we were in here a couple of weeks ago. Thank you. And um, I'm aware not everybody will like it. That's okay. I get those emails. Um, <laughs> that happens. That's okay. But we felt like it was important, and, and your church board did as well, and, and um, Brandon and a whole crew of people felt like it was important that we address um, the fact that at times it was hard to see or hear <laughs> and hear. So we have addressed it, and uh, I want to say a, a couple of words of thanks to um, folks who quite literally risk their lives at the top of that thing up there. At the, that, is, that is a long way up. Yep, take a look. It is a long way up, and all of the light bulbs have been replaced. Now, the box that, that had the light bulbs in it said we're going to have to replace them again in 36 years, so be gearing up now. for. <laughs> but all of these have been replaced and... Um, that's what it looks like when you're on top of that <laughs> lift all the way up there at the top. It's just a gorgeous thing. And that's what, what our stained glass looks like when you're kind of looking at it eye to eye back there. So that was, I just am so appreciative of all the folks. And again, Brandon has had this guiding vision and he has come to folks and, and Zach has been a tireless worker. But there's been a lot of folks that wouldn't have happened without the church board and my man, Matt Hotch decided that needed to happen and did it in less than a week right there. So that is incredible. And it would be a good thing for us to show our appreciation to all the folks who have helped us to do that. Good stuff. Good stuff. And no less important, the women's restroom is just tremendous, right? Right, yeah. So... And, and you know who you are if you have helped us to do that. Now, as a man, and, and if you want to see it, men, you'll probably have to do what I do and come in the middle of the night where no one can see you, just to kind of check it out. But it is fantastic, and thank you to, the, to all the folks who helped to make that happen. It's a fun place to be pastor. This is my second uh, sermon back after sabbatical. And uh, I did a little bit of math, did a little bit of checking uh, over the course of the sabbatical, we drove 10,000 miles and, my people, got zero tickets. Amen. No tickets. No tickets. So as some of you know, I have a spotty driving record. It's a spotty driving record. I no longer have as many tickets as I am years alive, Brian, so this is good. So no tickets, no tickets. Taylor is learning to drive in the process of getting that whole, that whole. it's a hard thing to have my driving record and to be doing this to Taylor as she drives. So essentially, as a truth teller, what I've had to say is now, I'm going to take those keys away if you aren't a better driver than me, if you're not a better driver than me. We drove through uh, New Jersey. And I stopped, and I uh, was about to put gas in my car when a very nice man stopped me from putting gas in my car. He said, dude, you're in New Jersey. I said, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what that means. He says, well, in New Jersey, 
you aren't allowed to pump your own gas. Turns out there are two states in the union. Can anybody guess the other one? Jason. Oregon, that's right. So in New Jersey and in Oregon, and this has been challenged several times in court, but still, New Jersey and Oregon insist on pumping your gas. So it was really a pretty funny exchange I had with this large man with his name on his, uh, his lapel here and walked out and I said, now hang on, you're going to pump my gas? He said, yeah, buddy, I didn't get all dolled up like this for nothing. <laughs> So sure enough, he pumped the gas, and then he took a look at the, at the oil, the oil level, and he washed the windshield. It was just weird. It was weird. Because I think I, think, I, I, think I like pumping my own gas and checking on the, on the windshield and, and, and kind of knowing some of that stuff for myself and doing some of those things for myself. There is an an element of this when you are at a gas station in this part of the country and you are are pumping your own gas, there is a sense in which you are serving your own interests, right? I mean, there are a lot of other states we drove through and and I did all those things. I I checked the windshield and the level of oil in the the engine and and pumped the gas and, and, and there was a sense in which I was serving my own interests. I wanted to get to the next place. I wanted to get to the next place safely. So I was serving my own interests as I worked on the car. It is not necessarily a bad thing to work and serve your own interests. There are certain places in life where we are naturally expected to do such a thing. We come in, we do what we do, and we are serving our own interests as we do it. This is not one of those places. In fact, I would say it like this. It is a bad and, in fact, a terrible thing if we come here and you are busy serving your own interests. But I will say this to you. I would submit that in lots of sanctuaries all across our world, across our nation and state and city, and perhaps even here, there are people who are here for what they get out of being here or what they believe they should get from being here in church. I hear it periodically, just periodically, when folks say something like this. I'm just not being fed. Or, or, I don't like the music. Or, I don't like the new trust and the new lights or something. There are some folks who feel like they are here to serve their own interests, but it's even scarier than that. I think there are some folks who believe that by being here and by participating in our religious movements that somehow you are shaping and maybe even controlling, though you would never use that word, shaping and controlling God. Do you know that there's some scriptural evidence that there are times when the people of God gather and God hates it. Does that hurt anybody else's feelings? This is a new sermon series. You you already saw the title slide. We've gone from this is my story, where we heard from different people throughout the summer, to this is our story. It it feels like a a little, it's a little frightening to me, because now it's going to be left to me for for quite a few weeks now to to preach that series. This is our story. And and there are a lot of times when you're going to say, wait, is he speaking for us? And as your pastor, I am. But 
the staff really wanted me to, to do this and to go back through some passages of scripture and some sermons that they feel like are foundational and formative for who we are and who we're becoming around here. And because there are so many new faces, we have lost many, but we have gathered so many and they're always better looking when they come. Isn't that right? Don't you think that's true? We have gathered so many that it's really important that we go back through and reestablish what we mean when we say church. And this passage of scripture, Isaiah 58, is one that uh, grabs me around the throat every time. But I'm aware of other passages that scare me to death, like this one in the book of Amos. Now, Amos was a, was a shepherd uh, prophet, and he had some pretty strong language for the people of God who would gather to do their religious movements. Now, what do I mean when I say religious movements? Well, we have them. When we come here to church, we have all kinds of religious movements, right? Worship is its own religious movement, and then there's the listening to the person preach, and there is the praying, there's all of these religious movements, there is the, even the Eucharist, and even our giving, these are all religious movements. My question for us today is, why are you doing this? Why have you come today? Why do you do what you do in the name of faith and religion? Why are we doing any of this? Because it is possible to do it wrong and end up on God's bad side. Amos, speaking for God, says this, I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. If you keep reading, it says, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your heart. And no one said amen. So it is possible to do this incorrectly. It is possible to come and to come with a wrong intention. It is possible to come with a wrong posture and heart set and mindset. It is possible to come and by our very gathering frustrate God. So let me ask you again. Why are you here? What is it that you come for? What do you want to happen? Why do you participate? Is it possible that you are chronically human, inescapably normal, and that there are times when you feel like, man, if I put these coins of religious movement in, I should get something back? If that lurks anywhere in you, even this much, like it can and does at times in me, we have to listen very well. We have to listen very well to what the prophet has to say to us today about all of this. Let me set the stage for you. This is Isaiah 58, so it's in the third part of Isaiah. In fact, sometimes we call it third Isaiah because there are three pretty distinctive um, time periods represented in the book of Isaiah. And, and this one, this third Isaiah, this is the time when the people of God are returning from captivity. They have been in Babylonian captivity, but the Persians seem to have wiped out the Babylonians and made it possible for our people, our, our ancestors in faith to come home. And so they're coming home. They're coming home and they find their capital city. And they find their temple. They find their old way of life in absolute ruins. Everything 
is messed up. No stone unturned. You can probably still smell the smoke. Everything is an absolute disaster. Now, the people of God should, by this time, be pretty well aware of why this exile thing happened. We have mentioned exile several times. The people of God should have, at this point, been pretty well aware of why it happened. Here's why exile happens. Exile happens when the people of God flatly refuse to be the people of God. And then they wander into oncoming traffic. So this is what has happened. The people of God have not been the tangible, touchable evidence of God in the world. You have heard this before, too. There is a reason that one of our commandments goes something like this. You shall have no graven image. Here's why. Here's why. We're supposed to be the image of God for the world. And so if we load all of that responsibility on something that we would chisel out of stone or out of gold, somehow it relieves us from, of the responsibility to be the tangible, touchable presence of God and the intentions of God in the world. And so God says, no, 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 no. When people need to know what God is like, they need to be able to look at you. So no statues, no graven images. Be the expression of God in the world. And throughout history, when we have not been those people, we have wandered into oncoming traffic. And a couple of those chapters in our story have been entitled Exile. So they should have known. They're coming back. And they're trying as best they can now to reconstitute a believing society, a society that would have at least a shot of demonstrating to the world the tangible, touchable nature of this God. But things were really bad, (laughs) y'all. Things were super chaotic. Things were really bleak and dark. And so the people, the people said, well, we're going to have to rally. We, We need to call a prayer meeting. We need to get together. We need to do these religious things to get back on track. And hear me say this, probably true. They probably needed to participate better in lives of faith, in their religion. Let's let's go ahead and and name this. I know, again, religion is a dirty word, but I just don't get the folks who say I'm spiritual, I'm Christian, but I'm not religious. That's like saying I eat dinner, but I don't eat food. So you are religious in one form or another. One way or another, you're religious. The question is, how is your participation shaping you? How are you allowing God to shape you for God's purposes? It seems that the people of God in this situation spent the fifth month and the seventh month of every year fasting, giving stuff up, <laughs> denying themselves in the hopes, in the hopes I guess, of capturing God's attention so that God would finally say, yeah, well, man, they are really serious this time. But after fasting, after participating in their religion, and after fasting a whole month, they look around and they say, I don't think things are are getting any better. And so it seems like they're complaining, and perhaps Isaiah has heard all of these complaints. Perhaps God has heard these complaints now relayed from the mouth of Isaiah, and God now has a message for the people, and Isaiah is going to relay it. Shout out. 
Do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, announce to my people their rebellion. Now this is the people who have already come back from exile, so they are still a people of rebellion, though they are trying to reconstitute this particular godly sort of society. Hear this, they are a people of rebellion, though they are coming to church all the time. Announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob, their sins. Day after day they seek me and delight, and I think this is where God would do this, right? I think God had the capacity to do the air quotes thing. And delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, they complain. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Have you ever said something like that, anything like that to God? God, haven't I been pretty good? God, I'm at church all the time. God, I have participated well for a very long time. You can kind of hear it, right? You can kind of hear what's coming next. God, I have done and I have done and I have done for you. When? Church, can you hear how dangerous that line of thinking is? And by dangerous, I mean absolutely normal. Right? Because aren't there other situations in the lives that we live day to day to day to day where it is fair for us to say something along these lines. I have put in and I have put in and I have put in. When do I start getting something back? Maybe you have a retirement account. Maybe you have had a retirement account. Some of you have a retirement account that you invest in every month. Like the same amount of money, same amount of money, same amount of money. There comes a point at which, if that retirement account is consistently losing money, you go to the person who's helping you with that and say something like this, shouldn't this be better than this? Or you've hurt yourself somehow and you go to a really good physical therapist, a really good physical therapist, and you keep putting in the time, the rehab, the rehab, and instead of getting better, you're getting worse. At some point... Don't you, as the customer, have the right to go back to your doctor and say something along these lines? Man, I am really spending a lot of time and, by the way, a lot of money. Shouldn't I be? Have you, perhaps, parents, have you ever said something like that? Maybe to one of your kids' teachers. <laughs> Man, it's been doing homework left and right all the time. Shouldn't there be some recognition of? Yeah, there's so much of that out there. Is it any wonder that we have trouble not bringing that economy in here? Now, you are deer in the headlights right now. I don't know if that's because of these lights or if you truly are a deer in the headlights, but, but hear this. 
it's a dangerous thing for you to enter the sanctuary of the Holy One as a consumer. It's a dangerous thing. Now, I know, I know that you are treated like a respected and revered customer out there, dependent on where you are spending yourself and your money. But when you come in here and you believe that you are supposed to get something, your God, You see, these people, they were faithfully practicing. They they were faithfully moving around in religious sorts of ways. They were fasting, and if the stories are true, they were fasting the entire month, the fifth month, and again, the entire month, the seventh month. So they felt like they had grounds to come back to Isaiah, who would go to God and say something like this, we are doing our bit, God, time for you Pay up. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. I I think there was and there still can be a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be a person of faith, a follower of Christ, belonging to the people of God. Because I don't want to offend anybody unless it's absolutely necessary. Because the life of faith to which you and I are called, while it involves me and involves you, it's not about me and it's not about you. The life of faith to which we are called by virtue of being the people of God has, oh, hear hear this. Now, if you have real complaints about this, here, write this down, because I want you to send these complaints to Walt at (laughs) OKCFirst.com. But God's grandest dreams, where you are concerned, those dreams are not, first and foremost, about getting you to heaven. Now, I know that you perhaps have heard that. Perhaps you've heard that. Perhaps you've heard people talk about faith and religion in ways that leave you with this this distinct impression that you are supposed to be religious so that you can avoid hell and somehow then qualify for heaven. So what's in view there, what's in focus there, is this vertical relationship that we hope will be eternal. And so what really, 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 really matters so you'll be told, is that you finally make that decision that cares for your eternity. But hear me, and I think this is what the prophet, speaking for God, is trying to say and scream at and to the people of God. There is something more important than that. There is something bigger going on here than whether or not you finally repeat after the person up front and say the magic words. And that something is this. God has in mind that through you and people like you and me that God would reclaim all of life. Amen. Reclaim all of life. And, and sometimes, sometimes that other faith gets in the way. It's 
Walt at OKCFirst.com. Can you see how a preoccupation with my own situation can be an obstacle to what we want to be a preoccupation for what God wants to do in the world? Well, two of you do. That's great. We can do something with you two. <laughs> so the prophet says, look, look, you have these religious movements that you have really got down pat. You've, you've committed them to memory. And you come in and you do these things that are religious in nature, but when you live here, you are not at that point the tangible, touchable people of God. In fact, you are participating in a competitor system. Look, you're serving your own interest on your fast day and you oppress all of your workers. You fast, sure, but then you leave here and you quarrel and fight and to strike with the wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. At the very least, right, we want to believe that when we pray, God hears us. When we ask for things, God is sensitive to our request. We want to believe that, right? Because we know that there are verses out there that go something like this. If you'll ask anything in my name, I'll grant that prayer. But what does that mean? Because I keep asking for one million dollars. <laughs> so it's possible still, as it was possible then, that there would be people who would go through the motions of religion asking God to bless them and grow them and prosper them while they live outside of this place in ways that are counter to the very heartbeat of God. I don't think money is the enemy of faith. I think the all-out ambition for money is the enemy of faith. People of means have done incredible things to push and further God's kingdom. But that whole prayer of Jabez thing was wrong. God does not look at you and say, man, I cannot wait to expand your territory and make you really wealthy so you can have cars with gold rims. That was wrong. What God seeks, what God seeks is your life. That your life would be given to God in ways that would allow this same God to move and shape and mold you so that you can participate with God, helping out where the purposes of God are concerned, so that all of life and all the world could be reclaimed. So, you'll hear me say this again, I'm going to go back through a highlight reel of Revelation over the next several weeks, but it is not our faith, the one that holds that somehow God's going to rescue us from this bad place and take us to a very a very far away place that doesn't even smell like this place anymore. That's not our story. In fact, I would submit to you that's not in Scripture. What is in Scripture is this, that God would come and finish what God started and work in and through and amongst the people of God to accomplish the dream of God. Amen. 
Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? The Lord will guide you continually, skipping down to verse 11, if you will do all of these things. There is something that comes along with it. (laughs) If you will be my people and if you will participate in these religious movements in ways that will allow God to move you and mold you and shape you to be tools and resources in the hands of God to bring all things back to God, God's self, if you do all those things, then the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places because God has in mind the reclamation of all creation. And by the way, that does include you. And make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. And one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. So now they are looking around at the walls still in ruins the giant gaping holes in the wall, that wall that was at one time supposed to ensure that we can be a safe and secure society. By the way, by the way, I just dread this upcoming election season. Anybody else? Okay, I I dread it. As your pastor, I dread it because both sides are going to try to convince you that their side is the Christian side. Can I say this to you? There may be Christians on both sides, but neither side is the Christian side. We're the Christian side. Does that make sense? And I especially don't like it when someone is going to hold security over our heads and threaten us and tell us how to vote based on our fears. We have someone to trust where our fears are concerned. (laughs) Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. It's going to be counterintuitive too, and I apologize. Again, it's walt at okcfirst.com. I'm not sure we need more churches. There are more churches in Oklahoma City than there are gas stations, by quite a bit. Do we need more churches, or do we need more churches to take seriously their opportunity to be churches in neighborhoods? Do we need churches who will survey? Ben Felder helped us a while back to survey our neighborhood so we we would know the statistics. And knowing the statistics about our neighborhood, we could then fashion a response to the felt needs of our neighborhood. Turns out our neighborhood needs literacy help. Turns out there are a lot of folks in our neighborhood that don't get, a lot of children in our neighborhood that don't get three square meals a day. And so are probably malnourished. Turns out that a crime, uh, we have a real crime problem between three o'clock and six o'clock. seems to me that the gospel and the kingdom and the definition of success that I think we are granted by these same stories go something like this. 
Be a part of the solution for a world that is damaged and broken wherever you find yourself. If you are on Northwest Expressway at 4400, then try to figure out a way to be an outbreak of hope and address the issues as they arise right there in your neighborhood. So we are a food force in our neighborhood right now. <laughs> and Kaylee and the folks, the CCIO, are really helping us to come around, to come alongside students and, and try to boost their literacy levels so that they can get to the right place by the time they're at that really important age of third grade. Because we're convinced by the, the note that goes something like this. A kid that's not reading up to level by third grade is going to go to prison. Is going to fail and go to prison. So we work really hard getting kids to that point. Because this verse, this verse is one of the ways in which we understand successful church. Do, do you know why we have Sunday school? You might think we have Sunday school just so that we have somewhere to take the donuts that we've just purchased, right? <laughs> God created Sunny School because God created donuts, obviously, right? Yeah, Sunny School, especially within our tradition, was time set aside to teach kids to read. Those are the origins of Sunny School. Now, I don't know what you're doing in your Sunday School class, but I'm sure it's great. But the origin of that movement was not so much teaching the saints how to hear the sermon, and again, not bad, but the origin of that tradition is that the gospel is not just about souls and it's not just about me, but it's about all of us and it's about what God wants to do with all of us. And so we will take a big old handful of all of us, bring them to the church and teach them to read. And by the way, we're going to use the Bible. The tax exempt thing gets challenged ever, ever so often. I mean, and maybe some of you in the, in the room have some pretty strong opinions as to whether or not churches should be tax exempt. I don't mind those opinions at all. I will tell you this. In the court cases, and I looked at them this week that were, that were brought up and where we, where we discussed this and debated this and argued about it, this, this one thing seems to carry the day every time. The folks who are for tax exempt status seem to have the stubborn belief that churches can help when it comes to things like feeding the poor. And if churches are going to help the government seems to say, if you're going to help us do what we're last, what the last line of defense to do, if you're going to help us to do that, then we can see clearly enough to give you this tax exempt status. John, is this a political speech? No, except that the kingdom is inherently political because it has to do with people and bodies. Amen. That's why it's so dangerous for you to come into this sanctuary, believe yourself to be a religious person, then actually come in here and try to manipulate God to... <laughs> Bless your interests by taking communion. If you're coming to pray because you're trying to finally get God to do that thing that you really want God to do. If you are singing and participating because you're really trying to motivate or manipulate God into doing something, God would say to you through me today, please stop. saying we should stop doing these things. I'm saying you should stop believing that you, have a, <laughs> that you have a dog's chance of ever motivating God to do something that God doesn't already want to do. These things that we do here, 
are not about changing God. They're about changing you. Because God wants to change you and me and us so that we can, at a deeper and deeper level, with greater and greater effectiveness, God wants to, through these same actions and movements, shape us so that we can, in fact, partner with God to do what God wants to do. And by the way, here's what God wants to do. Finish what God started with the creation that he called good, 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 and very good. Jimmy gets out of jail tomorrow. If you're new to our church, that's my brother. My brother Jim gets out of jail tomorrow. I know, I know. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Faith behind bars is perhaps different than faith for us. Jim, getting out of prison, um, has had a lot of practice in recognizing that faith is more than just a a transaction where the soul is in play. (laughs) I mean, those guys sing and they worship in desperate sorts of ways because they're trying to get to next week, and the next week, the next week. In other words, faith for folks behind bars really can be a life or death situation (laughs) like it's supposed to be. Here's my question for me, for you, for us. Because Jim hasn't quite chosen a church just yet. I have a good one. I have a good one in mind. (laughs) But what will he find here? I don't mean in the building. I mean, he's going to see a community center that was only a dream when he went to jail. He's going to see the lights and the sound. He's going to see all of that. But what will be the nature of the faith that Jim finds here? Will Jim, as he walks the halls and sits in these pews, will he find a faith that always seeks to improve our particular lot in life? Will he find people who are participating, serving their own interests in the hopes of finally convincing God to bless my business? Or will he find a group of people totally given to the dream of God for all of life, including those re-entering society? Who recognize that the gospel is falsified when we allow it to be just about souls and that spiritual transaction just about eternity. Listen, if that's all it's about, will he find a church here who recognizes the power, yes, of confession? Yes, of accountability and the kinds of Bonds and relationships that are formed in smaller groups where people learn to tell one another the truth. But will this be a place that also recognizes the power, the gospel power in literacy and food security issues? In other words, will this be a fully embodied faith? Will this be a place 
busy rebuilding ancient ruins and raising the foundations of generations, will he find here repairs of the breach and restores of streets? If you're helping us today to participate in this very familiar movement, this very familiar religious movement, would you please come? Heavenly Father, bless these elements now. And having heard what we have heard from your word, may we understand in these moments that these elements shape us to be more and more like you, that these elements have nothing to do with shaping you the way we want you. God, you allow us to see something in the bread and in the cup that can be a reminder for us as we try to figure out how to be Christian as we go back to work, as we go back to school. May we see something in this bread that is taken and blessed and broken and given. May we be both reminded and nourished to be a people who are, for your sake and for the sake of the world, a people taken, blessed, broken, and given. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took this bread. He held it up before them. He said, he blessed it, and he said, this is my body broken for you every time you eat of this bread. Remember me. Later on, same way he took the cup, he held it before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Every time you drink of it, remember me. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left. Make your way to someone holding a plate of bread. Come with your hands cupped so that you can receive that which cannot be grabbed, paid for, stolen. Receive it as a gift. When you do, that person handing you the bread will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Then take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup held by the person right there. When you do, that person will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Then take and eat, right then and there, take and eat. And then you have a decision to make. You are certainly welcome to circle right back around and go back to your pew but there are always going to be places to pray and people to come and pray with you. If you need a prayer for healing, someone will come to you and pray with you at this padded altar or at that padded altar. But all kinds of prayers can be prayed at this kneeler's bench, mourner's bench. And someone will come and make sure that you recognize that you do not pray alone. If you can't come to us, then Jason will come to you somehow get his attention. He's really good at finding you. But know that something larger than just the matter of your eternal destiny is going on here. This is something bigger than whether or not you finally make it into your eternity. This is whether or not you are being shaped for God's eternity. that has already begun. May you, by your participation here, recognize that you are not shaping God, but that God is in fact shaping you. Now all across the sanctuary now, would you stand, exit your pew to the left, 
with your hands cupped, come and receive this gift.
forgiveness for all the different times that we have performed our religious movements in the hopes that we could finally get you to bless and serve our interests. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for all the times that we thought that we would be able to move and shape you while refusing your every attempt to move and shape us. God, would you give us this deep sense of interest and, and curiosity? Curiosity is to what you might do with us, yes, as individuals, but what you might do with us, your church, if we were to give our entire selves over to you and if we were to involve ourselves and participate in some of these very same movements, but instead of trying to get you to bless our efforts, if we were wholly given to all of these same habits and disciplines and practices and the hopes that we would be shaped for your purposes, give us that sense of interest, that sense of curiosity. God, what might you do with me, with us? God, we bring to your attention those we know to be sick and hurt, alone, depressed. We continue to pray for Betty Fain. God, restore her to her family, to this family. No doubt you know others who are in need of that same kind of prayer, so would you right now pray that prayer as specifically as you know how for the person nearest to you in desperate need of God's touch of healing hope graders and their families, <laughs> ninth graders headed to a new school and their families, college freshmen and their families, that they would know God to be present. some on a daily basis in the hopes that we would someday mean it. But God, as we pray it again today, may it take up more space, more ground in our minds, our hearts, and imaginations. Move us one inch closer, closer to the full realization of this great prayer. Church, would you now pray it with me using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.